You are listening to the After the Timeout podcast, hosted by Todd Zazadil and John Palicki, two high school head coaches looking to help others spread their passion for the game of basketball. Tune in for episodes about anything basketball related, on the court, off the court, and anything in between. We at the After the Timeout podcast would like to take a full timeout to talk about V-Reps basketball. Coaches, do you get frustrated by how some players just cannot seem to learn your offensive system? Are you spending countless hours teaching your offensive system to your team just for them to forget by the next practice? You should check out V-Reps. V-Reps was founded by basketball players and coaches to create tools that make learning plays easily a reality. V-Reps allows coaches to turn their 2D playbook into a 3D interactive video game that players can watch on any mobile device on their own time. Don't just have players watch film, have them live it and control the players so that they have a better, more efficient learning experience. It's free to try. Go to vreps.us to sign up today. On today's episode, we are joined by Julie Fournier, founder of Basketball Psychology. Coach, how you doing? Thanks for joining us. Yeah, I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. So we start uh, every uh, podcast we do with with the segment we call Opening Tip. Um, and we want to just get background. And, and so we wanted you to take us through your journey of becoming an author, uh, the founder of Basketball Psychology. Uh, you know, what kind of started the process, inspiration, um, you know, what's, what's it like writing a book, all that kind of all that stuff. I know that's a lot of stuff in one, but, you know, just kind of the background and, and you know, where you started and, and where you're going with it. Yeah, so I played college basketball, and while I was a student athlete, I kept hearing my coaches say, it's all mental. And I'm thinking, okay, well, if it's all mental, why don't we spend any time working on the mental side of the game? You know, we spend all our time in practice, all our time in weights, but we don't invest anything in the mental side of the game. And yet they're saying it's all mental. So I thought to myself, there has to be a resource out there that teaches athletes and coaches about the mental side of the game. So I go home and I do a Google search and I just can't find what I'm looking for. Like everything I find is outdated, cliche, or isn't really answering the questions that athletes are asking. So that's where I decided to start basketball and psychology myself. Um, it started as just a weekly blog and a Twitter page. And from then it's kind of grown into a few books and started a podcast recently. So it's still growing, but it just started from seeing a void in the field of, you know, coaches saying it's all mental and they're not being a resource that teaches you the mental side of the game. She's already written multiple books. Todd and I are lucky we're having a podcast and, and you've done a, well, a great job with the books, coach. Uh, do you want to just plug your podcast before we move on to the next topic? Yeah, so it's called the Ball is Psych podcast and it's available on Spotify. Excellent. So uh, listeners, please uh, tune into her podcast as well. Uh, so coach, we wanted to get into 
you know, we talk to a lot of high school coaches, college coaches. So kind of talk to us about the importance of a mental health day for a high school or college athlete, whether you're, you know, a high school athlete, a division three, division two, II, division one, JUCO, you know, they spend six, seven days preparing, as you said. Um, so kind of what are those benefits for a coach just simply giving their athletes a mental day off? Yeah, so there's this great story about two lumberjacks and every day they start chopping wood at the same time and every day they stop chopping wood at the same time and every day one of the lumberjacks disappears for about an hour and he always ends up chopping more wood than the other lumberjack and this went on for months and finally the other lumberjack was like okay we start chopping wood at the same time we finish chopping wood at the same time every day you disappear for an hour and you always end up chopping more wood than I do where do you go for that hour and the other lumberjack says, oh, I go home and I sharpen my axe. And I think that's what a mental health day would be. It would be sharpening your axe. Resting is not a waste of time. It's an investment into your own well-being. So I think when athletes have that day to rest, they're actually going to come out and be a lot more productive than they would be without the rest. So it's like this idea of what if we could get where we're going faster if we take that time and we rest and we sharpen our acts? So that's why I think a mental health day is so important for athletes at any level. So I guess on that note to follow up to that, then what are, what are the elements that, that you use, um, uh, coaches can use uh, with your team to give them that, that mental sharpening and you know, kind of a psychological advantage. So I think character and confidence are two of the biggest things that can give you that psychological advantage in the game. Um, the game is all about confidence. You know, if you have confidence, there's nothing in the game that you can't do. So I think instilling that confidence in athletes having great character will take you very far, not just in the game, but in life. So for a, a coach out there, maybe it's their first, you know, time as a head coach or, you know, they don't really haven't studied psychology or mental health. You know, what are what are two or three things for our listeners that they could start with the first day of their season or right in the beginning of their season? Just two or three easy things they can do, you know, for their players and to support their mental health. Yeah, I think the first would be making practice harder. And that doesn't necessarily mean run your players to death. But if you do like seven on five, for example, when players get into the game, they're going to be a lot more confident because they're a lot more prepared. And I'd also say, I've heard a lot of coaches say, be confident. That's not good advice. It's like telling a sad person, be happy. It doesn't really fix anything. Instead, instill confidence, compliment them, encourage them, praise what you want repeated. So one of the best things my college coach did for me is she would just rave about my work ethic. And that only made me want to work harder. So if you praise the things that you want repeated, they'll get repeated and other people on your team will hear them and they'll want to work harder. And I would also say compliment that effort instead of complimenting talent. Because a lot of times when we compliment talent, it makes the less talented players feel kind of hopeless or helpless because they can't really control that. But everyone can control their effort. So effort needs to be a big focus for coaches. 
So kind of take us through that, that old school mindset of a coach. I'm sure we've all had the coach that's the screamer, the yeller, the, the um, you know, and, and thinks that they genuinely do think that they're motivating in that way. How does that coach kind of, kind of change their mindset? Because again, I, I truly believe some of these coaches that yell and scream, they do think that they're motivating correctly. So how do we kind of go through into that different mindset of, of kind of shouting the praise, whispering the criticism? How can, how can a coach kind of coach themselves to change? Yeah, so the brain actually perceives a four to one compliment to criticism ratio as neutral. So what that means is you need at least a five to one compliment to criticism ratio for you to even be considered as positive. And most coaches don't get nearly close to that rate. Um, so a lot of times it has to do with just encouraging your players. Players respond well to being encouraged. No one likes being criticized. Um, and it can help motivate players if you yell at them and scream at them. But it comes down to knowing your players and having a relationship with your players. Because if you know them, you might know that, okay, this player likes to be yelled at and that really motivates her. If you yell at this player, she will shut down completely. So it's just about knowing your players and having those relationships where you share, okay, this is what motivates me. This is how I react when you coach me this way. So relationships are really key when it comes to that coaching style. So I, I kind of want to follow up and build on that. Um, you coach, you're obviously, you're, you're younger, you played in a different generation than, than we did. Um, it, 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 I noticed that it's very different even from when I played. I'm not not super old. I'm almost 40. But, you know, uh, back when I played, it was kind of, you know, you got to kind of suck it up. And we had some some of those coaches. We're, we're um, old, by the way. It's okay. We are old. We are old. But um, I kind of wanted you to talk about just, uh, I guess, today's athlete and maybe some of the different issues that they have. Um, and, and I think that's good for, for coaches that maybe are a little bit older because – you know, you, you kind of coach how you were coached, right? Uh, it's hard, it's hard to break that habit. So I wanted to get into, uh, you know, obviously you as a player uh, when you were playing and, and things that players are dealing with today. So maybe coaches can kind of hear that and say, oh yeah, I've never thought about that before. Yeah. So I think one of the pros about this generation is they will stand up for themselves. If they are not happy in a situation, if they feel like it's not benefiting them, they'll transfer and they're not afraid to do so. And I think that's why the transfer portal is, you know, so hectic right now because players aren't going to sit back and just take it anymore. They're going to go look for a coach who's going to see them, who's going to, you know, coach them how they need to be coached. So I think it's really important for coaches to recognize that players it's okay to coach them hard. They need to be coached hard. We all need to be told the truth, but you don't have to be, um, you know, criticizing your players all the time. You can build them up instead of tearing them down. You can instill that confidence in them to make them play better. All right. So now I want to take it to the uh, kind of whole team aspect um, when it, when it comes to the, the, the mental game and teams that are, you know, I guess, uh, we use the word mentally tough and, and confident, right? Like you talked about, um, what separates the good, the average teams, um, from, 
consistently great teams in that aspect. Yeah, so Google did a study a few years ago where they were on a quest to find out what makes great teams. And they spent millions of dollars over three years trying to figure this out. So they started their search by looking at the who, you know, they were like, is there a certain mix of introverts or extroverts or different styles of leadership or, you know, how people lead, you know, what is it? And they found nothing. And we're talking about Google. They're the best pattern finders in the world. Like they figure out our patterns and that's how we get the crazy accurate ads for us. Um, but they couldn't find anything when it comes to the who, the people who are on the team. So instead, <clears throat> they started looking at the how. And that's kind of where the magic happened. They found that all the successful teams had one thing in common, and it was psychological safety, which basically means players can speak up without fear of you know, being embarrassed or anything like that. So I think psychological safety is what differentiates the good teams from the great teams. And that involves things like conversational turn-taking. Google found that on the great teams, um, everyone spoke roughly the same amount of time. And a lot of times you don't see that. You see the seniors or the captains doing all the talking and the freshmen and sophomores are kind of quiet. But on great teams, everyone is able to give their input. And that's how teams are really able to come up with a great solution. And that's how teams are able to hold each other accountable. So I think psychological safety is the big separator. So, and I guess this kind of goes back to my well, previous question, like some coaches, this is how it's always been done. How is, how do you uh, suggest encouraging that in a team? Because, you know, a lot of times in a team, it's just, hey, the seniors are the captains, that's the way it is. You know, how, how is that uh, facilitated? How is that encouraged within a team by, by the coach, by the assistants, by a program? Yeah, so I think the great leaders work on establishing their approachability. Coach Pat Summit, who's one of the greatest coaches of all times, she insisted that her players call her Pat. She didn't want to be called Coach Summit, Coach Pat. It was just Pat because she felt like her team would be comfortable confiding in someone who they could call by their first name. So I think that's one example of a coach who's facilitating that psychological safety. Um, another example is Brad Stevens. He does not name captains on his team. He's very opposed to it because he feel like, feels like it disempowers more than it empowers. Because if you think about it, you're normally making maybe two people captains and the other 10 to 13 players are like, well, I don't feel like I should speak up in this situation because I'm not a captain. So I think, you know, having that approachability in that space where everyone is welcome to speak up is how coaches can kind of facilitate that psychological safety. So I, I do like that term psychological safety. Can you kind of give our, our listeners, I, I think you've done a wonderful job explaining exactly what psychological safety is. And, and I am familiar with the term, but maybe give our listeners examples of ways or things that they may do that does not promote the psychological safety that actually promotes a level of fear or a level of anxiety in a player that might not help them reach that peak performance. 
So I think a big thing is a big problem when it comes to psychological safety is players talking about each other instead of talking to each other because word spreads fast and you know when someone's talking bad about you and that makes you not want to speak up, not want to talk to them or be friends with them and that's really unhealthy culture. And the same goes for coaches. If you know you're not talking to your players about, you know, something that's going on, confrontation is actually a really healthy thing in cultures. A lot of people avoid conflict because they think it's bad, but Sometimes it's necessary in order to resolve the problem and get to a solution and, you know, get to that place where everyone feels like they're comfortable talking and they've addressed everything that needs to be addressed. So gossiping and talking about each other instead of to each other is really harmful for team cultures. And I think one more interesting follow-up is when you're speaking to your, your players and, and you're being honest with them, you know, I think sometimes for some coaches, they may feel like, Hey, I'm, I'm honest, but the, but the player is taking it as harsh or unintended when the coach is truly trying to be honest, it just might not be the honest that the kid wants to hear. So how do you kind of go through that boundary of, well, no, I, I'm, I'm as the coach, I want to speak to you honestly, but it also may not be the answer you want in return. Yeah, I think we all want to be told what we want to hear, not what we need to hear. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, the truth can be hurtful. It can hurt us in the moment when a coach is telling us, hey, you need to work on this or, hey, what you did right here was wrong and that was selfish and you need to change. But ultimately, the truth is helpful. So I think if coaches can kind of approach the situation by saying, look, this is going to hurt, but ultimately it's going to help, then that will help the player take it a lot better um, because they would be better off knowing the truth than they would suffering the consequences of having a blind spot. So now that we, Todd kind of hit on the, the overall team, you know, what, what makes a, a good team versus an average team? Now let's talk about that individual athlete. You know, growing up, you know, we were all athletes. We all know the Michael Jordans, the Kobe Bryants, the Serena Williams, the, you know, the, the Tiger Woods, the Diana Taurasi's. What separates those, those players in that elite category from that next ring that might be great or what separates the great from the might be good? What, what's that, that little extra psychologically? I think it's this idea that each player, each one of those great players that you named is thinking, hey, I make the difference. I am the difference for this team. There's playmakers, which are great. A lot of people can make plays and get buckets and all that, but there aren't as many difference makers. So I think if you can make the difference, then you can be great. Um, you look at players like Steve Nash. Uh, they did one uh, study on him, and they had an intern count how many high fives he gives a game. And it ended up being 239. And later studies were done and they found that touches actually, actually predict success, not only for teams, but for individuals. So the players who gave the most amount of high fives went on to win MVP like Steve Nash did. So I think just believing, believing that you're the difference maker um, and actually making an effort to get everyone involved uh, with those touches or doing those little things like Steve Nash did is what separates the great players. 
So I, I kind of want to hit on, on two quick follow-ups to that. What about that player that's coming off an injury? Obviously, we're we're gonna take the we're gonna take the health out of it. Players like Adrian Peterson that come back from a torn ACL in seven, eight months. Sometimes your genetics are just very good. But what about those players that are coming off an injury? What psychologically can improve that injury recovery? I think it's all about optimism. I mean, they've done so many studies on how optimism will help people come back from injuries. And that's all about focusing on the positive. Like, what did you learn while you were injured? You know, what did you learn about yourself? How did you grow? And if players can focus on that instead of this attitude of, why me? This sucks. This isn't fair. Why did this have to happen to me? Then they'll be a lot better off and they're going to recover a lot quicker, actually, if they have that optimistic attitude. So uh, the other thing I wanted to get into is what are the ways that we may actually hold our athletes back? Let's say there is somebody that's as talented as a you know, a, a great player, but they might not actually achieve their potential. What are, what are things as coaches that we may need to think about? Hey, maybe we're holding it back. Yeah, I think um, they've done so many studies about a coach's expectation and how players live up to those expectations. So a lot of times if a coach has a player who's not so good, the coach won't really expect that player to improve or anything. So the expectations are low. And when the expectations are low, you, whether you realize it or not, you treat that player differently. So if you just expect that every player is going to be a great player, they're a lot more likely to be a great player. Like we live up to the expectations that other people set for us. So I think it's important for coaches to just have great expectations for their players even if they're unrealistic, because if you treat someone like they're going to be a great player, they will rise to that level. And I think a lot of that is shown, you know, in our words, people will rise or fall to the level of whoever you tell them that they are. So if you tell someone, hey, you're just not a good player, they're probably not going to be a good player. If you tell someone they're a great player, they will become a great player. So it's all about expectations. Uh, so I want to get into now preparing for games. We're getting ready for a game. Um, getting into getting focused, uh, you know, and, and kind of reacting to pressure while, while still having fun. Uh, what are some techniques for players um, to be able to, to kind of lock it in, get focused? Because let's be honest, there's a lot more distractions these days. There's social media. There's somebody sending you a text. Your game's on video that everybody can see right um so what are some of those things for players to to deal with the pressure little added pressure and, and getting focused and ready for a game while still having fun yeah so i think it's really important for players to be the expert on themselves so for example i used to have teammates who had to listen to music blaring in the locker room and they had to dance to psych themselves up to get ready for the game I was not like that at all. I wanted, you know, some slower music where I could go into a private room and just be by myself and focus on the game at hand. You know, I didn't want to dance and get all riled up, but it's just about getting to that perfect level you need to be at. Cause some players, 
start off too high, so they need to come down a little, and other players start off too low, so they need to psych themselves up. But it's all about being an expert on you. And as far as pressure, I think it's important to not focus on that pressure, but instead to focus on your preparation and to focus on having fun. Because when you're focused on having fun, you know, you're not thinking about, oh my goodness, this is a big game. You know, we can't lose this. These are the stakes. You're just thinking about enjoying the game. And that's actually when you play at your best. So I think it's important to be an expert on yourself, know what level you need to be at, know how you need to prepare and get ready for the game psychologically, and um, just focus on having fun and not focus so much on the pressure. So I, I think with pressure, um, it, it dovetails into dealing with, with failure, right? Um, so how are we encouraging our athletes to, to develop a growth mindset? Because, I, I, you know, I feel like, uh, you know, athletes a lot of times are really hard on themselves. Um, and that's, that's an okay thing, but I think sometimes it's very detrimental uh, and it doesn't get to that point where, okay, well, I didn't succeed here, but how can I take that next step and succeed the next time? Uh, sometimes it's, it's a little bit, you know, too negative. So how can, a, how can athletes, coaches, you know, promote that growth mindset and develop that growth mindset working towards getting better every day? You hear a lot of coaches say things like failure is not an option. And so the whole mindset is I need to avoid failure, but failure is inevitable and failure is actually what leads to creativity and innovation and growth. So I think instead of saying failure isn't an option, coaches should be like, go ahead, fail. Like it's inevitable. It's going to happen. It's not about if you're going to fail. It's about when you're going to fail. How are you going to respond? because failure is going to happen to us all. It doesn't matter how great you are or how bad you are. Failure is going to happen to all of us. And I think it's important to focus on the growth during that failure. And that's what the growth mindset is all about because it's during the toughest times in our lives when we learn the most. We don't learn as much from successes as we do from failures. So the more you fail, the more you learn. So I think if coaches can communicate that message to their players, the players will respond well to failure and grow a lot from it. So, you know, we, we want to talk about mindfulness and, and I talk to, you know, players, students, teachers of mine about being mindful and about, you know, when you worry too much about the future, you become anxious. When you worry too much about the past, you become depressed. And that, that key middle of, of being mindful, um, you know, so how can a coach or a player, you know, we all have things going on on the outside, but how can they really be mindful? I think a lot of us can be mindful within the game, but how about during practice? How can we be mindful? Yeah, so I've actually run a few 50Ks and those are exhausting. You know, during, you're just thinking about how many miles I've already ran and how much further I had left to go. And no matter which side you look at, you're like, this is exhausting. I don't know if I can do this. And I think the similar thing happens in practice because sometimes practices are three hours long and you're halfway through and you're like, we've already done an hour and a half. We still have an hour and a half to go. You know, how can I stay in the moment? And I think it's about having this mindset that I'm just going to take the next step to the best of my ability. Don't worry about all the other steps. Don't worry about the steps you've already taken. 
And that's kind of how I've been able to do the 50 cases. I just focus on taking the very next step to the best of your ability and then the next step and then the next step. But I run the mile I'm in. I don't focus on the other miles. I take the next step to the best of my ability. And that's how you can be mindful during practice and games. Um, so we kind of touched on this a little bit earlier, but but I guess we're going to go more you personally, you know, as an athlete. Uh, and again, I think this helps coaches realize kind of some of the things, um, you know, athletes are going through. Um, what are some of the things, you know, you struggle with? Was it was it confidence? Was it, um, you know, a, you know, a coach maybe not pumping you up enough? You know, what are some of the things you struggle with? Yeah, so I had a big struggle with confidence. Um, when I was playing junior college basketball, I would wake up at four in the morning, uh, be working out by five. Practice didn't even start until seven, but I wanted to be the most prepared because people always said confidence comes from preparation. And then I would get into the game and I wouldn't make all the shots that I practiced you know, during my workouts. And I'm thinking, this makes no sense. I thought confidence comes from preparation. And I believed I was the most prepared athlete in the gym, but I was also the least confident. So um, it ended up being a big struggle with confidence that lasted all season long. But I found out what I was saying to myself wasn't helping me be more confident. So confidence comes from self-talk, you know, you can prepare all you want, but if game time comes around and you're telling yourself anything other than I've got this, I'm prepared for this, then you're not going to be confident. So I think self-talk is huge. And that's, you know, something that I've had to learn throughout my playing years. So as we get into the final two segments, we, we like to go start off with the 30 second timeout. And obviously, you know, you, you do communicate with others through your podcast and, a, and your book, but this is a platform for you. Anything you want to talk to your listeners, um, you know, about basketball psychology, about your podcast, about your books, about something else you're passionate about, about some other outside organization, uh, a personal story, a unique topic, anything you want to share. And we always joke with our guests, it's a rough 30 seconds. There's no referee in your timeout here telling you the 30 seconds is over. So anything that you want to talk about on your platform? Yeah, so Zig Ziglar once said, motivation doesn't last, neither does a shower. That's why we need it every day. And do we get enough motivation every day? Do we wake up every day and intentionally motivate ourselves? And I think... Most people don't do that. Most people don't realize how much we need motivation. That's why I wrote the book, Daily Wisdom, which is 365 days of motivational thoughts, quotes, and stories. And the goal with that is that you would wake up every morning and read a page from the book and get motivated so you can go out and give your best to the world. Leaders who are leading on empty don't lead well. And this book was designed to fill you up. So our last segment we call quick hitters. Uh, it's kind of just random, throw it out to you questions. Uh, kind of, you know, just fun segment. Uh, you can kind of answer any, any, any way you want here. Um, obviously, so the first question is obviously besides your own, your own work, um, your favorite resource on, you know, coaching and, and the mental game and coaching psychology. 
So there's this book called The Inner Game of Tennis, and it's about 50 years old, but Pete Carroll and Steve Kerr both are huge advocates for the book, and it's changed the way that I see coaching and performance, and I wasn't even a shooter until I read that book. It totally changed the way I saw performance, so The Inner Game of Tennis is a great resource for all coaches and players. All right, we're, we're curious for you, what's an example of a, a strong psychological team? So I would say the Golden State Warriors. Um, I'm pretty biased because I'm a big fan of the Golden State Warriors, but their core values are joy, competitiveness, mindfulness, and compassion. And I think those are the four things that make for a great team. So as long as Steve Kerr's the head coach, you know, they've still got more championships to win there with those core values. All right. So as we all know, uh, music plays a big part in your, your mental health, your, your, your focus before games, especially in basketball, right? That, that's kind of a big thing. Uh, what's your music jam right now? What are you listening to? So I'm a big Drake fan. So I listen okay. to a lot of Drake, anything Drake. There we go. How about your favorite player growing up? Any sport? So I, Kobe was my favorite uh, growing up until about 2008 when I saw Steph Curry in March Madness with Davidson. And then I was all about Steph Curry um, from then on. Lucky that was a year they beat Gonzaga. I'm not too happy about that. Yes, Gonzaga's my Gonzaga's my team. So, um, all right, your favorite uh, basketball shoe as a player. What was what was your go to? What was the one you you wanted to rock? Kobe's. I yeah. always wore low tops and Kobe had the best. So I was always team Kobe. All right. I, I'm going to add one that Todd doesn't know at the end, just because we haven't done this one in a while, but this one first, other sport or athlete that you're studying or you're interested in. So somebody outside of basketball that you feel is an athlete that you'd be interested in studying. So there's this guy named Dean Carnassus and he's an ultra marathon runner. He once did 50 marathons in 50 states in 50 days. He's run 350 miles, I believe, nonstop. Took him like 80 something hours. I think he's the most mentally tough, you know, athlete on the planet. Um, so I enjoy reading his books and studying him. All right, we've only done this once, and I just think it's funny just for our listeners to go back to. I want to know your favorite zoo animal. Favorite zoo animal? Let's. I'm gonna have to go with giraffes. Okay. I love giraffes. We we once interviewed a coach that the school was right by a, a big zoo, so we asked him his favorite zoo animal, and I was like, you know what? We need to go back to that. <laughs> uh, before we close out, before I have Todd close it out, listeners, for those of you that don't know, because I enjoy running myself, and I could never do what she does, a 50k coach, correct me if I'm wrong. I believe that's a little over 31 miles. Yes, that's right. I was I was tired when she said it. <laughs> well uh, we can't we can't thank you enough for for joining us um this is an episode that we've had that's different than any other we've had um you know and the, the mental game and the psychological aspect is is so important and i know that coaches and our listeners can get so much so much out of this um you know coaches follow on twitter check out the podcast um you know coach we'll, we'll tweet it all out we'll, we'll get it all out there for you anything you ever need from us um 
let us know. But thank you so much for joining us. Um, we really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Thank you for listening to another episode of the After the Timeout podcast, hosted by Todd Zazadil and John Palicki. For more show content and upcoming episodes, follow us on Twitter at After the Timeout or subscribe to our podcast for upcoming episodes. For show inquiries, you can email us at afterthetimeout at gmail.com. You can find all of our previous episodes on Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Radio Public, Pocket Cast, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast by searching After the Timeout. We appreciate you listening. Tune in next time for more basketball content on the court, off the court, and anything in between.